Welcome to Flow Stars, candid conversations between Dr. Peter O'Toole and the big hitters of flow cytometry. Brought to you by Beckman Coulter at Bite Size Bio. Hi, today on Flow Stars, I'm joined by Jessica Back, Assistant Professor at Carmona's Cancer Institute at the Wayne State University. And we discuss her difficulties getting through grad school. Grad school was a struggle for me, mostly because I, I was I, I flailed a lot in grad school. You know, I kind of went to grad school because that's what you do. And then I wasn't sure what I was doing. <laughs> what she enjoys about attending conferences. It's when I can be around other scientists and like talk science and not feel like I'm um, the weirdo in the group. <laughs> and the time she had to process a spleen in front of a news crew. It was crazy. I was on the news like multiple times. We'd have camera crews coming in. I'm in the I'm in the hood trying to, you know, process a spleen and they're like, Can you do that slower? No, dude, I can't do it slower. But it's you know, it's a red liquid. All in this episode of Flow Stars. Hi, I'm Peter O'Toole from University of York. And today on Flow Stars, I'm joined by Jessica Bach from Carl Manos Cancer Institute at the Wayne State University. Jessica, how are you today? I'm doing well, Pete. How are you? I'm cool, thank you. Do you know what? I, I've known you for quite a while, but and yeah. yet I don't think I know. I, I yeah, you need your Wikipedia page because I don't know everything <laughs> about you. So this is going to be fascinating for me to get to know more about yourself. It's very well. hard to Google me because there, are, when you put Jessica and back together, it's like Jessica Simpson back with somebody, you know, and so it's very hard to Google my name. <laughs> I, I didn't try that hard. Oh <laughs> yeah, I mean, it felt inappropriate to try and stalk you before we actually. Just... You know, they tell you you're supposed to Google yourself and see what comes up, and nothing ever comes up, so I'm good. <laughs> so, well, it's in a couple of weeks' time when I'll come up just behind you, and you'll be like, "Oh, what are you doing over here?" Oh, don't forget, we'll be in Montreal, so we'll be yeah, together. There you go. <laughs> and, so, I, I'm going to ask. So, so Jessica, you, describe what your position is at the moment. Okay, so I am the Associate Director of the Microscopy, Imaging, and Cytometry Resources Corps. So it's a really long name. We like to call it MICR. So um, I have a director above me who is um, a microscopist by training. So our core is just, is kind of, originally it was three separate cores, and several years ago from federal funding, we brought them together and combined them into one. So we have a flow cytometry branch, a microscopy branch and a small animal imaging branch. So predominantly I'm in the flow, um, but I oversee all of the operations as well. So I do a lot in the animal imaging side as well. And then I tend to leave the microscopy to Kami, um, my boss. And uh, yeah, so we have like 25 instruments spread across five different buildings on campus. So it's, oh, wow. it's big. <laughs> So yeah. that's a distributed model. It is. So we have so the we have three main labs. So one main microscopy lab that's in one building, one main flow cytometry lab that's in a different building, and one main animal imaging lab that's in a third building. And then we have two um, satellite facilities. Um, so we're in the medical campus at Wayne State, um, which is about a mile from the main campus. So we have one instrument on main campus, and then there's a um, integrated biosciences building that's in like a technical center area that kind of has some integration with bio, um, like with startups and stuff. So 
that's another mile away. And so we have some, some instruments in that facility as well. Okay, so that's pretty diverse. There's a lot to, to delve into. <laughs> so I'm going to take you back a step and say, so what, okay. what was your undergraduate in? Uh, biochemistry. I'm a chemist by training. One minute. A biochemist isn't a chemist. I know. My, my husband, who's an inorganic chemist, says exactly that. Um, he says that's not real chemistry. So, But my degrees are in chemistry departments, so I had to take all of the other classes <laughs> too. Yes. I, you even have a top that says chemistry on it. I do. So I just got that. Um, I was invited back to my old department. So my PhD is also in biochemistry, um, and I got it here at Wayne State, and I was invited to give a talk in the chemistry department a couple of months ago um, about the core and what we do. Um, so whenever an alumni comes back, they give us a t-shirt. So I got a t-shirt and I was like, hey, <laughs> all excited about my t-shirt. And, and <clears throat> I, I, do you know, it's just dawned on me. You just said your husband is inorganic chemist, which does that mean he's not real? He's not making <laughs> it's something like that. Yeah. He, um, an inorganic husband, you know. Right. <laughs> yttrium <laughs> and terbium that's and that's what he did he did all of those yttriums and and terbiums and yeah so um he he's an abd he did not actually write his dissertation so he went through grad school and then he started working and he um ran a small company for about 20 years and they did um they chemically treated parts for the automotive industry to help with um emission standards and he just closed that about a year and a half ago. And now he is a middle school science teacher, which um, has been quite a adjustment. I mean, I think he enjoys it, but it's it's way different than running your own little business. <laughs> so that's quite, that, that's a bigger career change than where I was going with these questions. Oh, yeah. So your undergrad as yes. a biochemist, your PhD, I think, was biochemistry. Yes. Yeah. And so, then, but, but then what about postdoc? My postdoc was in tumor immunology. Yeah. So I never took an immunology class ever in my formal training. And I decided to join an immunology lab for my postdoc. And um, so my my dissertation was on um, DNA addicts. And so I was doing like two-dimensional NMR and structure and repair of DNA addicts, nucleotide excision repair stuff. And I decided I wanted to be, it was cancer related, um, but I decided I want to be closer to the patient. So I joined an immunology, tumor immunology lab, and I went straight from like benchtop purified DNA, NMR to animals and cells. <laughs> and that's where I got exposed to flow was doing that. But yeah, it was a big, it was a bit of a leap. Yeah, because I, I wouldn't say the biochemistry complements, can't get the complement into immunology. Mm -hmm. so you got to go with it. I got play. it. Yeah. <laughs> Dad jokes are strong today, it sounds like. <laughs> so, so, you, so you did a postdoc. Mm -hmm. you know, so so you're, you're on one career trajectory. Mm -hmm. And here you are running a core facility, a large core facility. Yeah. Why did that change? At the end of my postdoc. Um, so, I, well, so, okay. Take it back a step to my graduate degree. I took eight years to get through grad school which is a really long time and it's not normal. Um, but I decided in about year four to completely change my project. And then it didn't go as smoothly as we thought it would and took another four years. I also had, I got married in grad school. I had a baby in grad school. <laughs> um, 
So my daughter was uh, three when I graduated from grad school. So I was a little burnt out at the end of grad school. And that was also part of that major shift in what I was doing. Um, and my postdoc advisor, my grad school advisor and my postdoc advisor were very different um, kind of personalities. And so that helped, I think, too. Um, but I realized at the end of those two years that my heart was not in um, being a PI. I did not want to have to write grants all the time. I did not want to have, I did not have this burning desire to solve a specific problem. Um, <clears throat> and when I finished my postdoc, I was pregnant with my second child. So I decided to take a little break, have a baby, actually stay home with that baby for a bit. And that was um, 2008. And I don't know if you remember what was happening then, but there was this big recession that happened. <laughs> And so um, I ended up staying out of the lab for two years. Um, I was teaching at like the community college level. I taught chemistry for a while. Um, and then my postdoc advisor at the time, after I left her lab, she became part of the leadership. I did my postdoc here as well. Um, she became part of the leadership of the cancer center. And she called me one day and said, the flow cytometry lab is hiring a person. I think it needs to be a PhD. I think it should be you contact this person. And so I did. And um, I had, you know, the person, my technician, my the manager of our flow lab is the person who taught me how to do flow. Like he was the person who trained me. And we always had a really good working relationship. Um, so it was kind of this weird, you know, I think everybody who fall, who comes into cores kind of falls into it <laughs> a little bit. So I got into it and it just was the perfect fit for me because it allowed me to be part of the science and hands-on and really contributing, but I don't have to write grants. I mean, I say that because I'm currently writing a grant, but I don't have to write them all the time for my livelihood. So it definitely was the right the right move, but it, I got there kind of in a weird way. I've got to ask now, what is the grant for? Is it for equipment? Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, what Can I ask what you're bidding for? I'm trying to get a uh, spatial biology type system. So we're looking at multiplexed um, imaging. So we're actually looking at a canopy bio um, cellscape. But yeah, so I'm writing a grant right now for, an, for a piece of equipment. I, I'm not, I, I've done it. This will be my second. <laughs> I didn't get the first one funded. So we'll see, you know. So I'm going to know, so you apply for a whole new technology. So we, we've got Nanostream, we've got the DSP GMX. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Look at that. Oh, ah. I didn't realize. And we've got uh, Tenex, Vizium <laughs> yeah. options as well. Yep. <laughs> Relatively, not easy, relatively easier to write grants to get new fancy equipment. But how do you replace your workhorse equipment mm. to just get them back up to the latest generation not that it does massively more but just to replace it yeah um we write How a grant and it fails <laughs> and then we beg for money from our department or our from from our school so <laughs> i'm fortunate that the cancer center because it's got so the way in the u.s that works is it's a it's a major center grant so you know 50 million dollar grant um, but those cancer center support grants are um, predominantly they support instrumentation, core facilities, that kind of infrastructure to help support the research. So we're very fortunate that our cancer center is really supportive of cores and they um, help us replace equipment 
a lot. Um, we get some funding from the university too, but the cancer center really is the ones because even though we're a big core, we don't have like a big user base. And so we're not, none of our instruments are at a hundred percent usage. So it's hard to write a grant for them. Okay. So, so now my next question, this is a geeky question. I'll, I'll get okay. back on to more general questions in a minute. What is the oldest microscope or cytometer you have at the moment? <laughs> I think you're asking because you know the answer to this. So I finally got my boss um, within the last six months to decommission our Zeiss 410. It's a LSM. LSM 410. 410. 410. Yeah, that, that predates <laughs> me, I think. <laughs> So we had a um, Vantage until about mm, 20, 2009 or so. But yeah, so, I mean, we had the Vantage for about 25 years. Um, yeah, the 410. Nobody was using the 410. I think there was some sentimental attachment to the 410. And he liked to use it for training. <laughs> but it was solid. It was. And it still worked. Um, and it was a really easy way to show people like you could manually adjust the pinhole and you could really show them how the confocal worked versus, you know, all, everything being digital. But our oldest working microscope, it's it's probably the LSM 510 <laughs> um, that is actually still in use, um, but we also have a, um, a Leica SP5 and they're probably in the same time frame those two so I, do you know i actually dreamt of, a, of an sp1 last night i've never, <laughs> had an SP1. I've never touched i don't think i even touched an sp1 it, it probably really wasn't called dream. an sp1 was it <laughs> i don't know it's it a really weird dream it was it was just like oh anyway totally different sounds so a little said, more like a nightmare but you, you did you said you took some time off uh, especially around the time of your second child yes you did so i had you sent me a yes. picture of your children uh, <laughs> i did so that's that's my daughter Grace on the left and my son Clay on the right. And that picture is a little out of date because Clay has now outgrown his sister. Um, <laughs> and well. yes, and so he's 14 and she is going to be 20 soon. And um, yeah, and uh, that is his cat, Hazel, who he loves dearly and they are best friends and Hazel hates Grace. So um, you'll see that, that Grace has a uh, spray bottle pointed at Hazel in this lovely Christmas picture in front of the tree and he had no clue she was doing that and he saw the picture later he's like hey but yeah she and the cat have a definite hate hate kind of relationship do they get on your not the cat and your daughter but your, <laughs> my children get on? for the most part there's a pretty big you know age difference that that five and a half years between them was grad school and postdoc <laughs> um <laughs> So they get on pretty well. And how did you, because then obviously that was, I think you said 2008. Um, mm -hmm. How did you find coming back to work and balancing work and having your children? And how, how did you manage all that? Yeah, I mean, it's hard. And at the time we didn't have any like family close by. Our closest family was two and a half hours away. So, you know, my husband and I had to kind of figure out how to manage that. Daycare, friends. Um and I think the core was a good fit for that because I'm able to shut off at five o'clock and go home and be a mom. And then I come back at nine and I'm, you know, in the core. And, you know, my daughter, my daughter was in the lab by the time, I mean, from the time she was basically born. 
um, she's a biology major now, so <laughs> in college, but yeah, so they, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess that we just built a pretty good support system around us and that made it work. Tell me that you can still go home at five o'clock and clock off. I do. Wow. Yeah, I actually, um, and people look at me weird when I say this, and I say it all the time at conferences, especially when I'm on panels about work-life balance. I do not get my email to my phone, period. My work email does not come to my phone. I will check it between nine and a five. Nope, I don't get it. Very few people have my cell number, and if I give it out, it is like with the threat of bodily harm if they share it. <laughs> I think I just, I don't, I shut it off. And um, I mean, it's a little harder now that I'm doing a lot more volunteering stuff with ISAC and, you know, ASCP and those kind of things. Um, but I choose when I do it and I try to shut off when I'm at home. I, I, I think the fact that I dreamt of an SP1 last night probably suggests <laughs> I don't shut off quite. I dreamt it. about the grant last night, but um, I didn't work on it. <laughs> I do try and really try and compartmentalize where I can. I, so you also mentioned your more voluntary side to the job mm. as well. So you're Isaac Treasurer? Yes. Yeah. So how much money you got? <laughs> how much money do I have? None. And there's no room in the budget for whatever it is you want. <laughs> that is my standard answer coming in the next couple of weeks when we're at Saito. I'm sorry, there's no room in the budget for that. Um, but if you'd like to make a donation, here's a QR code. <laughs> <laughs> so seriously. What does the Isaac treasurer actually do? Yeah, I work with the executive director to manage, to figure out the budget, to set the budget, to watch the budget, to manage the budget. We have a um, finance committee that oversees as well and kind of looks at the budget and the monthly reports every, you know, with, with real detail so that we can make recommendations to the council because the council has to see everything. Um, so that's why we have all the committees that really dig into the nitty gritty. So I do that. I do some... Um, contract like lookovers just because I don't sign the contracts that's executive director job but we look at those just to say you know are we making sure we're covering the society and it's um and it's being you know good fiduciaries of the money and then um right now um man is part of the planning for the president's reception that has now been um changed over to a donations um activity so uh, that's been we've been planning for that and setting that up so yeah that's the main part of it and then I sit on the executive committee I, I've donated on there good President me too <laughs> no it's going really well and I'm, I'm really pleased um it's going to be a really fun night and there's still some tickets available um but yeah it's it's done exactly what and I have to give Rachel full credit for that because that was her idea and I think it was brilliant to open up that reception that had been seen as kind of this elitist club invite only and really open it up to the membership and let everybody enjoy it and to then benefit our civic missions. Um, the donations go for Instruments for Science, um, our Saito Youth Program and the um, live education. So it's it's really kind of the outreach arms of the society that are benefiting. When it was a closed shop, mm -hmm. Food was amazing. It was, wasn't it? It was really good. It's going, it's, it's going to be heavy hors d'oeuvres now, but there'll be a live entertainment. It'll be a lot of fun. Live entertainment. Yes, it's a secret what? I can't share. It's a surprise. <laughs> you have to, you have to buy a ticket to be there. <laughs> so just for anyone 
that doesn't know what Isaac is? Can you just in a sentence say what Isaac is? Yeah, so Isaac is the International Society for Advancement of Cytometry, but essentially it's, I like to think of it as the broad research flow cytometry community because there is the International Society for Clinical Cytometry, ICCS, and we're very good partners with them. But um, really it's that community of people who either are building or using or testing um, cytometers and cytometry-like equipment. And that's not the only society you're involved with. You're also part no. of Glyphka? I am. I'm on the board for Glyphka. Great Lakes International Imaging and Cytometry Association. Yeah, Glyph, Glyph, look, I'm in the UK and I've yes. heard of Glyphka. How are, <laughs> we have really good parties, that's why. <laughs> Everybody's heard about the Glyphka party. <laughs> we have exactly. a lot of fun. Do they have an annual meeting? Do they do other events? Do they do yeah. courses? What? Mostly it's, the, it's just the animal annual meeting. Um, and so anything, so our catchment area is any place that touches a Great Lake. Um, so here in the U.S., we've got the Great Lakes. Michigan touches four of the five Great Lakes. Um, but anything that's like within that Great Lakes basin, um, though we do have some people come over from Nebraska too, because we were, for a long time, we were their closest society. Um, so, yeah. Why? 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 You, you've got Isaac. You've got mm -hmm. all networking and community options you've got yes. you know, the, the conferences the training then you've got glyphka and that's more meetings well so glyphka i like to think of as the because it's regional and it's smaller you get more of that your local network so isac i have that international network glyphka is more affordable for people to go to and it's just a short like two-day meeting so those of us in the midwest can all come together and it's an easy place to take your technicians and your other staff and you know for real and get really good content um and but also be more with the people kind of in your area that you're going to maybe interact with more so what would you say the importance of networking was oh i think it's <laughs> um this is a really small like cytometry is kind of a small community and um a very supportive one which i like um but i just the other day I was writing on this grant and I had some questions about um, Hyperion and I texted Caroline Rowe over at Vanderbilt and said, hey, can you answer three quick questions for me? And she did. And I was like, great, thanks. You know, it's those kinds of easy interactions. And then when I'm having something that is problematic because we're the only facility in the area, you've, you've, um, University of Michigan is 40 miles away. So I'm talk to Dave Adams all the time, but you know, when we're dealing with things, if he hasn't had experience, I can go to that wider community and ask. So that's huge for me. And just to stay just on the networking and community. <laughs> so, so this picture, lots of famous. Yes, that is, that was it. Um, that was a Philly in Saito last year. That is like the emerging leaders group. <laughs> There's a lot of us now. I was in the second class, so I'm no longer in the emerging leader you know, category, but I was in the second class of emerging leaders and we all still keep in touch. We have a group at um, WhatsApp and ask each other questions all the time. And it's been a really great community to kind of help build and be a part of. That was right after some chocolate tasting. So again, so you've got the networking, <laughs> uh, the, the, the education side, but, but it's 
it is that network as well as the education going along. So you, as you say, you can then go and ask people simply mm-hmm. just you've got a problem. Yeah. These changing subjects totally. I'm looking in your background. Yes. <laughs> so, so actually those listening cannot see your background, but I can see a hoopo. You can see a what? A hoopo. A, a what? On your bird oh, calendar. Oh, the, the bird calendar. <laughs> you don't even know what type of bird it is, do you? Nope. No, I don't. That's a Nature Conservancy calendar. I apologize. I'm not a birder. I'm not that old yet. <laughs> you don't even know what bird you have up. up no, your... I don't. It's lovely. It's um, feeding a baby, some sort of oh, insect. So I take your point. You said you're a, a, a chemist, not a biochemist. And I think you have just taken the bio out of your chemistry. No, I am a biochemist. And, and I laugh because I do so much more biology now. I barely ever do think about chemistry. So when I get to ha- like solve a problem using chemistry, it's like, oh, hey, I do still remember it. <laughs> so but to I, that I, point, my husband and I are both chemists and my daughter is not doing well in her chemistry <laughs> since she hates chemistry she's like I just have to get through it to get to my biology degree I never want to do this again um yeah <laughs> I still can't believe you're still calling yourself a chemist when you're a biochemist I've never I am a, chemi- a biochemist I know but I think it's because my degrees all came out of chemistry departments and I was always doing all the organic and inorganic and you know PCHEM and you know it's the hardcore chemistry degrees that just happen to also have all the biochemistry on top of it yeah, we had a chemistry and a biology department, so they were separate. Mm-hmm. And the, but the biochemists were based, the wet, most of the wet labs were based in in chemistry. Mm-hmm. So we were more chemistry heavy, but we did some biology. But it's mm-hmm. always biochemistry. But by the third year, we dissociated from those inorganic folk. <laughs> Obviously, you could dissociate yourself quite so well from some of your inorganic folk. No, well, and I um, went to a really small college for undergrad, and so we all were just always integrated into all the classes together. And I actually took like advanced instrumentation classes in undergrad, never thinking that this would be my career path. But yeah. <clears throat> so, next question. Yes. Uh, I'm not going to ask how old you are. <laughs> I'm 46. I don't mind sharing that. Well, that's pretty swift, wasn't it? Okay. <laughs> When's your birthday? We just got to check when this goes live out, out on air. Oh, it's in August. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> might, might be close. And what day? I'll just get loads no. of gifts. By <laughs> this is on the internet. I'm not going to share that much detail. <laughs> and, and what's your address? And uh, consistent with last three digits on yeah, the last Yeah, last four digits, my social security number. No, thank you. <laughs> So over that time, what has been your biggest challenge at work to date? What's difficult period, challenging? It's mm. a really interesting question. Um, honestly, I think it's probably grad school. You know, grad school was a struggle for me, mostly because I, I was, I, I flailed a lot in grad school. You know, I kind of went to grad school because that's what you do. And then I wasn't sure what I was doing. <laughs> And I had a, um, my advisor was very much of the, um, you'll figure it out, go, go figure it out on your own kind of um, teaching process. And I definitely probably should have gotten an advisor that was more of a, let's figure it out together. Um, Yeah, let me help guide you. And so I think I flailed a lot in grad school. So that was, there was a period of time when I thought, am I, do I need to be a scientist anymore? Like, is this the right path for me? So Thankfully, I, I, I got through the fog. <laughs> yeah, that's really that's a really cool message, actually. That mm-hmm. you know you were struggling, 
it wasn't necessarily all you at the time. Yeah. And then you did your PhD, you did a postdoc, you realized you didn't want to go into the lecturing. Mm-hmm. And now here you are in a job that you clearly love. Yeah, I do enjoy passionate it. About and, and excel at. I think so. I think I excel at it. It's hard to say that you're, you know, that about yourself, I guess. But yeah, I think so I do you, it pretty well. Are you associate professor now? I'm assistant professor of research. Yeah, professor. it's a little, it's, it's definitely a different um, pathway in the US versus the UK, but yes. That's, that's pretty cool, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and it is because we don't have, like a lot of places, we don't have a real defi- well-defined career path for core personnel. Something I'm working on, um, but you kind of have to work through that from the top down and in while you're in it. So it took 12 years to be able to convince them to finally put me into a faculty track because um, I was research staff. And <laughs> when I was promoted to research science, so I started out as research associate and then I went to research scientist. And um, which is again, a really vague name, but a, but I was told that it was sub junior faculty. <laughs> I was like, what is sub junior faculty? That's the most ridiculous description I've ever heard in my life. Um, so now I am on the research track. So I'm a research assistant professor. Because we have a couple of different tracks. You said you were working on a, oh, what were the words you used? You're working on that career path and looking the mm. best way. And I think this is saying Isaac, but, uh, Look at what the LM, like microscopy community, mm-hmm. doing too. So there's mm-hmm. Phil Hochberger. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I I agree. They've done great over at Northwestern. No, and it's it's more here at our institution. Um, and it's something. So it's <laughs> so Wayne State is unique. I mean, we are in Michigan. We're in Detroit. Um, and so we have unions. We, I mean, the university has a lot of unions. So there's a faculty union. Um, there's a graduate student union, there's, you know, administrative unions, there's not a union for the research staff. Um, And so I think they kind of fall into this weird in-between phase. And so there's really just two or three classifications, research assistant, research associate, research scientist. Research assistant is if you have a bachelor's or a master's, you will always be a research assistant. It doesn't matter how long you've been there. If you have a PhD, you become a research associate or an MD, and then you you can move from there to research scientist. Um, but there's no clear like delineation. So we have, you know, my technician, like I said, he trained me. He's worked for the, you know, in some form in a core facility since the nineties. And he's his classification is still research assistant. It has never changed. And that's something that I'm trying to work with our VP with and start to really consider other pathways, like some defined steps in those pathways. Yeah, so um, the UK is pretty, pretty good. Mm-hmm. I've got to say around this area and getting better. So I, I, mm-hmm. and York has always been exceptionally good. And I, I can't talk highly enough of York, but it's not that's not the same at every university across the country. Yeah, but Liverpool are doing great stuff in this area. Uh, Nottingham, Warwick, Birmingham. Uh, through that region, Newcastle with Andy Philby, who's mm-hmm. got his professorship now, which is awesome. Yeah, I know, which is awesome. Uh, you know, so the UK is there. And I think it's communities coming together mm-hmm. and demonstrating these career paths, the value, the value of these. And yeah. maybe that's the big thing, the value of our posts are now mm-hmm. much more appreciated mm-hmm. and understood than they were 
15, 20 years ago. Yeah. And uh, I've been making a concerted effort to start really referring to cores as part of the research infrastructure of the university, because I think when you start talking about it as the research infrastructure, it changes the, the conversation. Because when we think of cores as just technicians, you know, that, that then you can set them aside and it's like but we're we're not just technicians and we have a much different skill set than a technician who works in a pi's lab um and so really kind of making it more part of that research infrastructure i think helps it is I, I, and this is what we have to appreciate if you're in a mm -hmm. core facility it, it's we are very niche yes you know, and we actually we fall between technical roles we fall mm -hmm. between academic roles yeah we are mm -hmm half academic, half technical. We are service-driven, yeah. but we have applied academic mindsets. And yes. that's to be the most successful, and that's how you deliver and advance. Yes. And of course, it is, on the scale of a university, there's, you know, a handful mm -hmm. of us. We are very yeah. And, and we have to appreciate they can't have everything for every niche type, because then it gets fragmented. Right. But... Again, because these are now being set aside globally, there's a lot of us. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's what we have to go to our universities using places like Isaac, Royal Microscope, mm -hmm. CTLS, ABRF. ABRF. Mm -hmm. I leave for that wide tomorrow. Wide. Yeah. We can put those things together. Exactly. And say, look, here you are. This is our roles. This is mm -hmm. what is now being recommended at institutional levels. Yeah. Please and we have it. a. Yeah, we have a new VP. Well, he's an interim VP for research. I, I hope he stays, um, but because I like him a lot. And I think he is thinking in more of that kind of thought, that mindset. Um, I think Johnny Moore described it best when she was describing it to me is that she finally was able to convince her HR by comparing the core staff to the IT personnel at the university. So they're very specialized, highly technical. And they have a defined structure of, you know, advancement. And so why can't we just duplicate that and make it more core minded and what the you know, instrument, but the skill sets and the, the ways that we kind of advance and stuff is, is pretty similar. So, you know, why can't we do those comparisons, if nothing else? And it, I think it's a good point to start the conversation, at least. And just just going back, I think we mentioned Andy Philby, and actually you did yes. send a picture of Andy Philby. <laughs> I is did. This? This is a that is one of, of my favorite photos of us. With. So um, the sign that we are pointing to, so for those of you listening, I'm on the right and Andy is on the left in the picture and there, it's it's a sign for the restrooms and it has an arrow that says men to the left because women are always right. And uh, yeah, <laughs> I think that was in Prague at Saito. Yeah. Andy and I have been friends for a long time. Yeah. That's false information. Uh, no, it's not. <laughs> No, you're we right. may let you think you're right on occasion. But... <laughs> <laughs> and on that, I, I, I actually haven't seen who's in this yes. picture. <laughs> so that's another one of my favorite Cyto pictures. So this was in um, Philadelphia. And I love that everyone in this picture indulged me. So behind us, that window that you can't see anything in it is the Liberty Bell. And so all the people on the right are from Great Britain and all the people on the left are from the US. And I did this because my father has gotten really, really into like genealogy as you do when you retire, I guess. And discovered that my fourth great grandfather fought under Washington in the Revolutionary War. So I got all of the Brits to be on the one side in the US to be on the other in front of the Liberty Bell for my dad. 
Yeah, but I can see we've got Callum Hogg there. You're yeah. Gonna lose. Well, I mean, history. We may not look. We may look a little uh, scrappy, but <laughs> it worked in our favor, I guess. <laughs> no, yes, it's it's good to see the faces there. The Callum, yeah. Callum, awesome force. Yes, yeah. she is. I'm having it on my side. Well, I've got it on my side, which is good. Yes. <laughs> so I, I've got some uh, quick fire questions for you. Okay. What's your favorite color? Mm, teal. teal. Still, no one has said fluorescent or Alexa 488. Everyone goes I'm with genuine color. Sorry. You, you can tell a true flare cytometer. I've not met a true flare cytometer with my microscopist to actually think and not. <laughs> Name it I saw a TV show though that did that somewhere in the 466 to and then I was like oh that's this color I mean I knew what it was but it's oh. not how I think about describing it to the general public <laughs> somewhere on the spectrum yeah no, that, that 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 small part of it exactly or 80 uh te teal's an obscure that's a bit of a niche color isn't it teal it is I know but it tends it's like my signature color I don't I, I'm wearing like royal blue today, but I have so many clothes and teal. So I've decided that, yeah, no, I think this is my favorite color. <laughs> okay. Are you an early bird or night owl? Early bird, definitely. What time do you normally wake? Oh, I'm usually up in the six o'clock range. I mean, I'm not like super early bird. Yeah. I mean, well, now that I'm a little more middle age, I tend to wake up around four and then try to slowly fall back asleep for a bit, but. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah no but at, but like 10 o'clock I'm like I'm out bye <laughs> going to bed <laughs> PC or Mac PC McDonald's I have an Android phone what's that uh, McDonald's or Burger King oh neither Wendy's you've got two children really you don't go yeah. to one I mean if I can avoid it no <laughs> we, we tend to go to Wendy's instead. Because that's so much better. Mm, it's really not. No. <laughs> My son discovered Culver's, which I'm not even sure you'd be familiar with. And so he'd request that. Both of my children would prefer to do Subway or go get sushi. So <laughs> my children are really big fans of Subway. Yeah, I don't get it. I mean, it's just a lot of bread, but whatever I, it's I, at I'm least a little even, healthier than mcdonald's <laughs> i'm not even sure how how to ask what i actually want in that place right. and how much, the price that comes out seems seems to be utterly random at the end it's like how did it come to that much it's yeah like, i don't yeah i don't know <laughs> anyway i try to avoid fast food but what is your favorite food oh my mother's lasagna and her cheesecake but yeah oh, and it's, and, you, and this is your no that's really <laughs> that makes it look like I'm your mother I'm not your mother <laughs> <laughs> yes so on the left is my daughter and my my mother in the middle and myself you can tell we're related it's in the nose um yeah we went so because of COVID my daughter was supposed to go on like a school trip to New York when she was in high school but it got canceled so this past summer my mom and I took her to New York City for the first time so it was a lot of fun it was a really good trip so that's your favorite food mm -hmm. what is your food nightmare if you went if you were taken out on some another society's president's evening mm -hmm. obviously you can't do that now with the eyes out right mm -hmm. and you don't have a choice in what you're fed it just put down in front of you. what would be the nightmare dish put down in front of you uh meatloaf and lima beans mm -mm. that silence is i'm trying to work out why 
Why? Why? Mm. Lima beans are just gross. My mom used to make them when I was little. I hated them. You just stunk up the house. I most of it, yeah. I don't like peas, but I I can at least swallow peas whole. My family still makes fun of me because my children love peas. I hate peas, but I eat them. I just swallow them whole. My dad still makes fun of me for that. But um, golly, don't sneeze when you swallow them yeah. then. <laughs> but lima beans are just like the worst. And then um, meatloaf. I just had a really bad like stomach virus, and the last thing I had eaten when I was a kid, and the last thing I'd eaten was meatloaf, and I've never been able to eat it since. So, who cooks at home? I do <laughs> all the time. Who washes, up at, who washes up at home? My children, if I, you know, make them, but it tends to be me as well. I take um, on way too much at home. <laughs> and what is your signature dish? Oh, my signature dish. Oh, that's a good question. Um, well, I make tacos a lot, but I think my family would say their favorite is um, black olive pasta. Okay. And coffee or tea? Coffee. I do love a good cup of tea, but I have to have at least some coffee every morning. It is still early here. You're going long coffee though, aren't you? <laughs> Not sure. Mine is still hot and yeah, it's got milk in it or cream in it too. Yeah, I don't do black. Either. Yeah, none of that enough. <laughs> Beer or wine? Wine. Red or white? Red. Chocolate or cheese? Ooh, chocolate. Milk or dark? Uh, milk. <laughs> I um, say that I, because I feel like people judge me, but. <laughs> if it's American chocolate, I, I, I think. If I mean, I prefer British chocolate, like milk chocolate. American milk chocolate is pretty poor. That picture from, of all the emerging leaders, we had done a, um, or, or Rachel Walker organized a chocolate tasting. She had everyone bring like the Cadbury's milk bar from their country. And it was surprising how different they all tasted, um, even between like the Irish one and the British one or or the English one. And, you know, um, I have another picture somewhere of um, some of the um, the leadership development groups. One was from um, Sweden and the other was from Belgium and they're both looking at it like why are we doing this they're tasting it going this is the worst thing we've ever tasted in our lives <laughs> yeah Switzerland and Belgium Belgium but yeah they were both very like this is gross making faces but I, I the next typically the next quick five question is tv or book oh <sighs> <laughs> okay, okay. I, can't, I can't believe you've just got, oh I don't know TV or book and you I mean the, honestly when I'm tired yes and when I'm tired it tends to be a TV but I do love books yeah the picture you have is those are most of my book club two of the girls are missing but that's my that's my support group my my at home best friends yeah we call ourselves JKL squared because we have Two Lisas, two Katies, a Janet, and a Jessica. So JKL squared. We call ourselves a book club. My husband calls us a drinking and gossiping club. But we always read a book, well, usually. <laughs> I, I, I like the name. Mm -hmm. what, what sort of genre do you read? Um, I like fiction. I like historical fiction, especially, but fiction is definitely my my favorite. Though, right, um, like the last couple of books I've read have actually been memoirs, so. Well, it depends on who it is. It could still be fictional. 
true. <laughs> so the um the one I finished recently was Jay, was uh, Dave Grohl. That was a that was a fun memoir. Um, and I'm finishing up. Listen, well, right now I'm listening to uh, Michelle Obama um, becoming. Now that I've been riding the bus more to work, and so um, I have a lot more time to be able to read during the day because it's almost an hour bus ride. So, Ooh. yeah, for sixteen miles, but <laughs> I I don't envy that journey through. You said you it's... watch TV as well. So, mm-hmm. what is your, what is the trash TV that you use to to to, to... Oh yeah, when I'm just zoning out, I watch crime shows. I watch um, CSI or NCIS. Those kind of I know they're still science kind of based. <laughs> oh God, come off it! I, I know say, they're totally not. not. They're totally not. I love how they like come up with a DNA profile in like ten seconds. But yeah, Did, what what a not look down a light microscope at and you see an electron microscope image. Oh, I know. The way he threw this on the electron microscope and it came back to this, and I'm like, when did you do that? Two weeks ago? Like. You did not get that image yeah. within a minute and a half. <laughs> oh, just some of the inaccuracies they could just, just yeah, yeah. Star Trek or Star Wars? Ah, oh, Star Wars. But my husband is Star Trek. Wow, your husband's got much better taste. <laughs> what, what, what is your what's your favorite film? My favorite film, The Goonies. Do you I don't think? know The Goonies? Yeah, no, The Goonies. <laughs> oh my god. I actually associate with you in times. <laughs> I've got to question myself. And uh, what's your favorite? What's your favorite Christmas movie? Oh, White Christmas, hands down. Classic film. Absolutely, my daughter and I watch it every year. It's not Christmas time until we watch White Christmas. And uh, finally, on the quick fires, what's your favorite music? What do you like to listen to? Mm, pop. Yeah, just, you know, whatever's playing on the radio kind of music. Okay. Although I'm really excited because um, I'm a fan of Pink and my daughter just for my, as a very, 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 very early birthday present, bought us tickets to go see Pink when she comes to town this summer. And I'm very excited very about cool. it. I'm super yeah, very, excited. I can imagine that'll be a very good stage act. Yeah. I, I've, I've got a pretty good kid. <laughs> she thought of it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, come on. That's because she wants to go. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I've been playing. She's been listening to Pink since she was a baby because I've been playing it that long. So, yeah, that's definitely we have a lot of that in common. I've asked about challenging times mm-hmm. uh, in your career and you went back to your grad days. Mm-hmm. What most fun time of your career? When has that been? Mm. Honestly, it's usually when I'm at a conference. <laughs> With the um, English chocolate and the yeah. red wine and the... <laughs> Plentiful coffee. Yeah. No, it's it's when I can be around other scientists and like talk science and not feel like I'm um the weirdo in the group. <laughs> you know, because in my regular life, like I have friends who are, you know, who have science backgrounds of my JKL squared. You know, there's a veterinarian, there's an an engineer. Um, and then we've got like a speech language pathologist and a realtor, you know, so we're, you know, very diverse. And so I try not to geek out too much in my everyday life, but um, I do like when I can get around other scientists that have the same language and get excited about the same things. I have a, an interesting question, actually. So, so you love conferences and, and, you know, conferences, when you start out going to conferences, you know, those evenings going to the very early hours and then mm the early morning and then the morning mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but the conversations can be intensely about work really yeah 
theoretical stuff, conceptual oh, yeah. stuff. But I know as time's gone on, you get to know people better. And actually the conversations become more personal. Mm-hmm. And not so deep into the science. Mm-hmm. And then, I don't know, I think the value of some of the meetings drops a bit because it's not the scientific, you know, the lectures are great. Mm-hmm. Workshops are great. But it's those evenings when you really mm-hmm. just can talk unadulterated about work without fear of saying yeah. You know, yeah. you can say something conceptually completely stupid, completely wrong. Mm-hmm. You can just say and then correct yourself. You don't yourself. have to worry about the politics at your no. institution. But yeah. Do you find that those conversations are now becoming more and more personal? Or how is this? How is that? And not so much about that that high end theoretical chats. Yes, but I'm I'm also very um or I try to be very conscious of that. And I do love spending time with my longtime friends in the field. But I also try to make new connections. And I'm at the point in my career, and I it hit me, well, I think it was earlier this year, maybe last year, but I realized that now I'm the person that people are like, oh, I want to talk to her or ask her questions. So I try to be very conscious about that at meetings and really make new contacts and meet new people and talk about science still with new people. Or, com- I mean, it tends to be a little more complaining about our, P- our users, but, um, you know. <laughs> But I try to really make that. What's that? But you'll still learn tactics of how to manage those sorts of scenarios. So that's still work related as well. Yeah. So I tend to like go to the events with friends so that we're together and we can talk about the personal stuff too and catch up. But then I try to meet new people when I'm there and really try to to expand a little. Um, So yeah, I I try to manage that. I don't know if it's fully conscious every time, but I do like to meet new people and make new connections. Yeah, I I think that's always the case of conflict. Poster sessions are quite good for that as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And then you can, because you've got that connection then, so to talk Mm -hmm. about a hook. Yes. Well, and after and after the 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 heavy scientific talks too, especially the parallels and those, because you can really kind of afterwards ask more and talk more about the really deep stuff that was covered too. I I went out. uh, Actually, it was was an application specialist with ICE. Went out for dinner. You know, he he was Mm -hmm. in town. I thought he was here for a while, so I thought we should do something. So I went out, and I I don't know the person that well. Mm -hmm. And that evening was awesome. Because mm-hmm. we we had the chit chat about you know mm-hmm. stuff like that a little bit, but yeah. then it went into really high end microscopy yeah. stuff. Yeah, really, right at the boundaries of the theoretical side, and it was so good. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh my goodness, yeah, conferences used to be like that, but of course, I think maybe for some of the junior members, it still is. It is, yeah. Well, and I, like yeah. I said, you have to really be careful that you don't just hang out with the people that you know and you like and that you've gotten along with over the years. Um, it's where you get the buzz. It's where you get the excitement. It's where the mm-hmm. new ideas mm-hmm. come from. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and uh, I am, um, so I haven't been to ABRF in a long time and I'm going, I leave, t- I fly out tomorrow. Um, and so I'm excited because it is a different group of people, you know, because I've been going to flow meetings for so long that it's the same, you know, it's a small community. And so you see the same people everywhere you go. But ABRF is all core people, but all different cores. And so it gives you an, a chance to kind of talk to people in different realms and hear how they do things and decide, you know, if that might work better than what you're doing. So I do enjoy that. I'm looking forward to it. I mean, I'm stressed because I'm still working on a grant, but <laughs> I am looking forward to that piece. Hey, you got a deadline. 
Yeah, I do. Maybe I have just to have a deadline. Maybe don't do any uh, manuscript writing. Yeah. What's your favorite publication? Stido A. No, no, that what you mean? Actually, oh. public. What do you? Well, I'm sorry, I guess I don't understand the question. What What is your favorite publication that you've published, co-authored? Oh, that I've co-authored. Um, oh, that's a really good question. So I, I'm going to turn it a little and say the one that was the most surprising. So when I was a postdoc, um, we published a paper about um, we were working on um, DNA vaccines for cancer, um, and we did. Um, a publication that showed that certain mouse cancer models were um, could be, you know, cured. We could make them susceptible to treatment with our vaccine. And a, it went into um, cancer research, and the AACR decided to cancer research decided to make a press release about it. And I'd never experienced that before. And it went crazy because they essentially said researchers in the lab have cured drug resistant cancer, which was not what we had done. We had taken a, you know, an obscure mouse model and a mouse tumor with a rat tumor and, or, you know, and made it so that yes, if it was cancer or chemotherapy resistant, we could rescue the immune response. We had news um, contacting us from all over the world. They were coming into the lab. Like they had to finally get the marketing team at the cancer center involved to, to manage all of the news crews that were coming in. Um, it was crazy. I was on the news like multiple times. We'd have camera crews coming in. I'm in the, I'm in the hood trying to, you know, process a spleen and they're like, can you do that slower? No, dude, I can't do it slower, but it's, you know, it's a red liquid. Um, so that was, I think the most, um, it was the kind of the most surreal experience around a publication was dealing with this like major hype. Um, the Today Show did call, but they just, then their scientists read it and they're like, no, we cannot make this like as big as it is because like we have too big of a audience. And thank God, because my boss was like, the, the point where it stopped was when a news crew set up outside of the um, clinic downstairs and asked patients coming out of treatment what do you think about this new exciting you know thing that's happening in the lab and they asked when can we get it and that's when my um, boss was like nope we're done this is we are not giving people false hope yeah. for 20 years from this being able to be clinically relevant so how you just made your best manuscript most publicity sound like a sad story at the end <laughs> <laughs> it was just this weird like i guess a weird glimpse into I mean, how the news works, but just how that, you know, that those weird, that that machine can kind of go overboard and then you realize, wait a minute, time out. We can't give people, you know, there's a difference between statistically significant and clinically relevant. And you have to make sure that you walk that line appropriately. I, I will just make one comment on your choice that it was the wrong answer because it's the one that you're going to be publishing. <laughs> there you go. The one that I will eventually publish that we've been working on forever <laughs> with you, Pete. <laughs> yeah, which has been the most challenging. It's been it's so just, challenging. It's not science. It's, it's not, not science. Crazy. <laughs> it is so <laughs> challenging to write this paper. Yes. Jessica. Yes. I'm going to take you way back now. <laughs> okay. I'm going to take you back further than this. <laughs> <laughs> now, okay, so if you're listening to this, uh, we, we are now about 50, 
50 minutes, 53 minutes into it, you have to go just for this picture because <laughs> I, I take it this is your inorganic husband. That is my husband, Dwayne, yes. Yeah, but who's this to his That's side? me. That is no. me. That was the night before we got married. That was our rehearsal dinner. Yeah. I was 23, Pete. <laughs> I was a baby. <laughs> I look at that now and I think, why did my parents let me get married at that age? <laughs> my dad uh, did try to talk me out of it. He thought I was hey, too young, I was 22. Yeah. So, well, it was technically, it was four days before my 23rd. Oh my God. So this That's is more. Yeah. That was then. This is now. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to take you back even further. I'll, I'll okay. Just, just because just I think if you will be giggling right now, I'm going to leave this up while I ask this question. When you were, when you were a young child, yeah. what was the first career you wanted to do? Maybe when you were 10 or 11. Astronaut. Astronaut. Yeah. I definitely want to be Esther. I mean, come on, Sally Ride was my my hero. Oh my God, she was the most amazing person. So and by the way, her biography, so good. Um, but yeah, I wanted to be an astronaut. I wanted to go to space camp. I wanted, like space camp was my favorite movie for a long time. Um, yeah. And then the Challenger happened. That put you off? Yeah, yeah. I think that, and then I realized that it wasn't quite what I wanted. And then I thought for a while I wanted to be a um, medical laboratory technician and like a medical lab scientist. Um, and then I wanted to go to med school and be a doctor. And then I realized I don't really like sick people. So <laughs> <laughs> that answers the next questions. Okay. So my next question so you got to where you are today. Mm -hmm. If you could do any job for a day or a week or a month, what job would you like to sample just to try oh. it? That's really interesting. Ah, oh. I might go back to astronaut, actually. I think yeah. it'd be cool to be floating around in space. I, I, I think blast off would just be too, I'm too risk averse now. Oh, well, you are kind of old. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think I could handle the, the blast off and the, all the, th yeah, I think I could, that would be fun. My son had an idea when, when he was very little um that nasa should make um you know the flat stanley um book and where the kids so it's this children's book and the kids make these little paper um cutouts of themselves and they put their face on it and then they like laminate it and they send it in the mail to people and you take it around and you see how far around the world it can go and he had this idea that nasa should make stickers with little kids faces and put them on this the spacesuits so then they could be like astronauts too so a friend of mine who actually works for NASA, I sent him an email and I'm like, uh, I think you need to do this. <laughs> take it up, the, take it up the line. You can make patches with kids' faces all over the, the spacesuits. Uh, do, you know, do, you, do you know what an astronaut actually says if they take off? <laughs> First thing they say is OG, followed by <laughs> 3G, 2G, 3G, 4G. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's ridiculous. You are. <laughs> yeah, but you won't forget it now, will you? No, I won't, unfortunately. So, other hobbies, you've got the fun times at work, you've got the difficult times at work, you clock off when you go mm -hmm. home, and I, I presume you yeah. also like I like to be outside. I like to hike. You've got a retreat. I do. <laughs> so it's a thing in Michigan. Everybody in Michigan has like a family cottage up north. So, okay, 
I'm going to teach you something new. So if you live in Michigan, you have to know how to use your hand as a map, because if, for those of you outside of the US, Michigan is at the top of the United States and it's the state surrounded by the Great Lakes that looks like a mitten. So you use your hand. Oops, sorry, that's backwards. So you use your hands. This is what the state of Michigan is shaped like. So Detroit is down here and we have a cottage up here. Now Michigan has two peninsulas. So there's actually the upper peninsula and the lower peninsula. But so we have a cottage up about here that we go to. I, I call it a cottage. It's a hunting cabin, but I like to dress it up. <laughs> and then you can, you can go across the Mackinac Bridge and go up to the UP and people in the southern part of Michigan have hunting cabins or family cottages. They've been in their families for generations up in the northern part of Michigan because we like to be outdoors. It's a great state for being outdoors. So um, yes, my husband convinced me to get a hunting cabin in the upper part of <laughs> the lower peninsula a couple of years ago. And we go up there. My, my husband and children are actually going up this evening. Um, it's only about a three and a half hour drive. So we can go on a weekend and go be outside. So I like to hike. I, I, this is off grid as well, isn't it? It is. Yes. So we have, we have running water because, you know, we have a, we have a well, um, we have, um, we operate off of a generator, either gas or battery powered. We have some solar panels, but yes, it is. Um, we have 36 acres of woodland and it abuts a the national forest so there's the Huron National Forest um, that our property abuts so we are literally in the middle of nowhere <laughs> and my husband would move there tomorrow if he could and I will never live there full-time but um yeah because yeah. I can imagine all the middle school children needing to be taught in the middle of nowhere <laughs> <laughs> there are a couple of smaller schools he and when he so because he's a substitute teacher he's like he's not fully licensed yet he's working on that but um so he's a long-term sub but when he before he became the long-term sub that he is he would substitute just kind of anywhere and he would go off to the cabin for a week and he'd just substitute teach um at the schools up there <laughs> so yeah it is this really in the middle of nowhere though Jessica, we are up to the hour, so I'm going to ask oh one goodness. last question. Okay. Where do you see the next big step in flow cytometry? Ooh. Well, what would you really like good. it to be? What would you mm -hmm. like it to be? Mm -hmm. I mean, honestly, oh, it's such a, it's a tough one. I think what we're trying to do with the multiplexing on tissue, I think, is is going to be really important. Um, I think you're always going to need to have flow. Absolutely. And I think it's an amazing technology, but we have to start thinking about where the cells are in the entire microenvironment because there's so much of an interaction at the microenvironment level. And microscopy is great for that, but you have limits, you know, in traditional confocal on how many things you can look at. So I think that multiplexing on the tissue level is really where we're, we're heading I, I next. Can't, I can't wait for the, uh, yeah, assist. assist technology to become agnostic to the platform mm, mm -hmm. just like flow cytometries it doesn't matter if you've got a Beckman culture a sony mm -hmm. a BD, mm -hmm. whatever it is it doesn't matter you can buy the reagents and do your experiments yeah not wait for that multiplexing to be agnostic well so that's what the system that we're looking at is one that it that uses commercially available antibodies that are fluorescently labeled so it is a little more agnostic that's why we targeted it for our grant okay. We'll see if it gets funded, but you know, for us, I think it'll work um, better than some of the other options out there. But 
yeah, I think that is part, kind of the next step. It'd be good to know. And on that note, Jessica, thank you very much. Thank you everyone for listening to Playstars today. Uh, you've, Thanks, you, Pete. You've heard Karen and other people mention Johnny Moore, uh, Rachel Errington, Isaac, and there's lots of other podcasts on from Playstars just about uh, from them and about those topics. I would say, I was going to say thank you, Jessica, but I think I might say thank you, Isaac Treasurer. Thank you, Assistant <laughs> Professor. Thank you, Wicker <laughs> member. Thank you, Vice Chair of ASCP. Thank you, Chair. I'm Chair of the ASCP's Atometry Exam Committee. <laughs> I know, I do a little, I say a yes a few too many times, I think. <laughs> Wife, mother of two, yeah. friend, author, grant writer. <laughs> Boom. Jessica. The complete Thanks package. Thanks very much. <laughs> Thanks, Pete. This is fun. <laughs> <laughs>